0: This is the Cubicle Renegade podcast session number nine. In this episode, we chat with Brittany Castro, who's a certified financial planner in Los Angeles. She's also the founder of Financially Wise Women. In this episode, we also discuss the biggest mistakes she sees couples making with their money and how you can fix them. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host, Caleb Wojcik. Before we dive into this week's interview, I just wanted to give two quick announcements. First, thank you to everyone that's left a review on iTunes. Thank you to D, Greg, Krista, John... Andrew, all the people that have left me reviews there. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. Um, if you haven't left a review on iTunes, it really helps this podcast raise up the rankings and reach more people. The second announcement is that I'm going to be switching this to a weekly podcast, so you'll be getting a new episode every week. I'm also just going to stick to audio. It takes just more time to do video and to publish both, so I hope you appreciate just the audio and you'll get more of them every week. Without further ado, here's our interview with Brittany. Hey everyone, today we're joined by Brittany Castro, the founder of Financially Wise Women, a website that helps professional and entrepreneurial women gain clarity and confidence with their money. Brittany is currently a Certified Financial Planner, or CFP, in Los Angeles, California, and has been a financial advisor since 2006. Thanks for joining us today, Brittany.
1: Thank you for having me, Caleb. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we first crossed paths probably early 2011, through a course that Corbett Bar was doing, and kind of been following what you've been doing online since then. But let's start way back like, where did you grow up and go to school, and what did you do when you were a kid?
1: We'll take it back. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Cerritos, which is part of LA County, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have three brothers. So, growing up, I'm very uh, used to playing with boys and you know, being involved in sports. Um, In high school, I was very active. I was on the dance team. I was in ASB. I was um, in theater. So I I kind of like did a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And um, and you know, I guess what I'm learning now is trying to incorporate all those different parts of my life into my business and really thrive as an entrepreneur.
0: Mm -hmm. And so, did you have any kind of entrepreneurial influences? Were your parents entrepreneurs or Anyone in your family?
1: No, I'm. Well, my parents were, you know, basic um, employees. My dad was a LAPD officer, so he was the primary breadwinner for our family for the most part. Um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and uh, she was like most women, I think, managing the finances for the family so Mm -hmm. she was very active with the budgeting and the day-to-day finances and it's pretty remarkable how they were able to really support four children off of one income one salary salary. they're basically the millionaires next door you know saved and invested and were able to put us all um, through college you know Mm -hmm. have multiple properties and can retire successfully Um, And for like entrepreneurs, I mean, my grandfather did have his own, um, business in Seattle actually. And, uh, so growing up, we'd go every summer to Washington and, you know, we'd like be in his store and help out a little bit. He had a baseball, um, card, uh, store. Mm -hmm. So he had that and it was fun. But, you know, when I, was in high school, I learned early on that I, I always like knew I was just going to be a business owner. I don't know where that came from, but I just Mm -hmm. knew. And I think one of the things early on, which was a roadblock for me was I was doing something when I started in my career, I was doing something that wasn't traditional. So my parents really didn't understand my brothers didn't really get it. Mm -hmm. Um, I started at Ameriprise Financial right out of college, and um, my salary was basically commission. So whatever I produced that year was my income, and I remember trying to explain that to my parents, and they just didn't understand. They kept asking me, well, how much are you going to make this year?
0: And you said, and I, then, have no yeah. I have no idea yet. I have no idea.
1: And I was like, I have no idea. Um, I hope we'll, I will make something, and my brother... <laughs> My brother is actually, he's a year older than me, and he's a CPA. And so he landed a, like an auditing job right out of college. Mm -hmm. And he was getting a salary of $60,000 with benefits. And so it was very like structured. Mm -hmm. And I remember when my parents kept asking me like, well, what are you making? What are your benefits? You know, because Phil is getting XYZ. I was like, I don't know. But my whole goal that year was to beat him.
0: So (laughs) So you had the bar set and you just had to beat your brother. Yeah.
1: All I have to do is beat $60,000 and then I'll be able to tell my family, like, look, entrepreneurship's (laughs) the way to go.
0: (laughs) And so when you were brought onto that company, it was just functioned as like you are an individual kind of person in that company, but like they didn't pay you unless you brought in work.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was, um, you know, I got like a draw salary, but it, it was draw plus commissions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Ameriprise, it was a great company for training in the financial industry, you mm-hmm. know, um, the platform. But it was a sales position. So if you're not producing, if you're not bringing in clients and assets, then you're not making money. And eventually you would get the boot. Like, you know, there's production requirements and mm-hmm. all of that. Thing.
0: Mm-hmm. and so what made you decide to kind of get into financial planning
1: good question well i did always um have a fascination with money uh you know growing up i my favorite toy was uh, a fake cash register and my <laughs> checkbook so i was a weird child <laughs> that i love i love to um balance my pretend checkbook uh all the time and uh you know, in high school, I, I really loved math. I always was really good with numbers. So when I went to college, I graduated um, with a degree in business economics. But actually, while I was in college, I thought the only finance position jobs you get were like very analytical and behind the mm-hmm. desk. And I, I'm way too much of a people person to, you know, look at a career like that and be like, oh, yeah, that's for me. So I thought I was going to be an event planner because I loved planning and I loved working with people. And when I was in school at UC Santa Barbara, I actually met a woman who was a financial planner and she had her own business. She was working with people, um, using her money and, you know, finance background Mm -hmm. and running her own show. Mm So I When I met that woman, I was like, oh, I get it. This is a way I can be in the finance world, still work with people, help people and have my own business. So that's when I knew I was supposed to be a financial planner.
0: And then did you start to get certified right away after college when you got this job? I know it's a longer process to get your CFP, but when did you start doing that?
1: Yeah, so right out of college, I mean, I was 22. I I still look young. I'm 28 now. And so as soon as I like started, like probably after six months, I started studying for like designations. So I got my CRPC designation, which is Chartered Retirement Planning Counselor. I got um, accredited asset management specialist designation. And I wanted to build credibility because I was very serious about what I did and I was like, look, I'm really smart but people um, you know, look at my age and they're like, what do you know about money? Right. I was like, I know a lot more than a lot of these people but <laughs> <laughs> um, look, looking like a baby, you know, it didn't help. Um, so after I got those initial designations, I always knew, okay, certified financial planner is the next one and I think I started studying for that because it takes a few years maybe in 2009 I started studying and I did like an 18 month curriculum of the different courses. And then in 2010, I sat for the exam.
0: And you need a certain number of hours worked as a financial planner too, right? Do to you even yes. get
1: that? Yeah. So, and I don't even know the hours. I feel like it's about three years of experience mm-hmm. is what I remember. You need three years of work experience. You need to do the, at, at my time it was, five college courses I think they increased it to maybe six now mm-hmm. so there's six college courses you have to complete then you sit for the two-day board exam which is very similar to like a cPA exam or the, or the law you know mm-hmm. um, the bar exam and then you pass um, an ethics portion of it as well so mm-hmm. it's, it's very intensive I mean it's it's not just something you do casually right. you devote a lot of time and attention
0: And then you started with your personal blog um, and building an online presence, whereas most of the work you were doing is locally. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it was sales-based and working with customers in person. So so why did you start blogging and taking kind of your knowledge online?
1: Because I always wanted to build this business bigger, and I knew that the traditional model of working with clients and managing assets wasn't the way I wanted to do it mm-hmm. so I, I originally launched the blog as a way to build credibility help women because I saw there's this huge gap between you know the financial industry and the way that they communicate with women especially younger women it, it just doesn't add up so I wanted to bring education and awareness to like the demographic I was going after for my own business um, But ultimately, like, build the credibility so then I could start to scale my business more online. Mm -hmm.
0: And and so do you want to dive in a little further on why you focus your message online towards women? I'm sure offline you have male and female clients, correct?
1: Yes, I do. I actually work with, you know, a handful of couples. But I target the women Um, in 2010 when I left Ameriprise Financial and I went the independent channel. I knew I wanted to focus on a niche that I could relate to. Because before then, I was working with a lot of retirees or pre retirees, and it was fun. And I, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't that exciting for me because we just were in different life stages. Mm-hmm. So it was, is it? Was a, it was kind of like a selfish decision. I, I wanted to work with people like me and I wanted to like create a service model that made sense for people like me. And um, and again, I just saw there's this huge gap between like women and the financial industry. Like, so many women are the primary breadwinners of their families, mm-hmm. we're entrepreneurs, we're we're professionals, and yet you know, we're, they weren't relating to like the traditional older white men <laughs> financial advisors. Right. And there's nothing wrong with those advisors. It just wasn't like a good fit. So, um, you know, it was mainly selfish reasons. I wanted to work with people like me. And, and so when I started focusing on building the online presence, even though I was working one-on-one with clients still, most of the women that I was going after after have such a strong hmm. online presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're using social media, they're Google searching people. So I knew if this was my niche, I have to go to where they are, not make them come to where I am. So Mm -hmm. if they're online, I need to go online Mm -hmm. and tell them, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I do.
0: And so you, you gain clients through your online website as well. So do you work with people like virtually very often
1: now? Yeah, now more than ever. I mean, it, it's, it took me a while. I mean, it wasn't just overnight, right. um, but probably over the past, let's say, you know, six to eight months, I have really started to see like such a steady um, flow of clients and prospects coming to me from my website. So mm-hmm. direct consultation requests. And then now I work with clients more virtually because you know, not all of them live in Los Angeles or in California, so we do a lot of Skype calls or phone calls, and and it's more of a virtual relationship. Mm-hmm. And
0: do you treat those two kinds of clients separately? Like, are they run through a different like personal business, or is it everything under one umbrella with the same rates and things like that?
1: It's all the same rates, so everybody um, is given the same service model. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter if they're in person or virtual. Um, they go through the same, you know, financial planning process and relationship.
0: And so you, you've been featured in outlets like New York Times and Wall Street Journal. Is that something you like consciously pursued or how did that come about?
1: Um, those were all organic. I mean, it's amazing how when you set your mind to something, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean... I never like sought out to you know get the um, you know media from them specifically, but mm. I knew like I was doing all this marketing to get credibility and and become a brand for women and um, everything you know that kind of followed has been organics, which has been great. So they they just sought me out for those specific articles.
0: Mm-hmm. And. So you do like live webinars online, and you do a lot of YouTube videos where you're you're having conversations with uh, professional women, or you're teaching things for free. Like, how is the model of giving away a lot of free information helped you gain more clients?
1: Great question. I mean, I learned that through Corbett and through all the online marketers and Mm -hmm. just marketing gurus I study. It's that you know, as a professional, sometimes we think if we give it away for free that you know then they're not going to pay for our services but as you know it's completely opposite like the more information you give away for free the more they see you as a valuable resource that's you know the expert in the field and committed to like a lifelong um, relationship with these people so um, I just you know, learned that model through other experts that I studied and saw, okay, I need to give away free content
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to, to help these women with their money um, goals and their money struggles and for them to know that maybe if they're not ready now to work with me, like the fact that I'm there constantly giving away free, free workshops or webinars or YouTube videos, when they are ready, they're going to seek me out because I've been there, you know, mm-hmm. you know, with them for a few years now, helping them along their financial journey.
0: Were you scared to put yourself on video?
1: Yes, of course. <laughs> Who is it? I mean, even with like a background in dance and, um, doing some performances, I mean, it's, it's horrible watching yourself <laughs> video <laughs> for them. And it's the, you know, actually it's really interesting because, um, Yesterday I had a call with my business coach and uh, I'm really now taking, you know, hopefully taking my speaking to the next level. And so I'm, you know, getting really um, a lot of critique on how I can be better. Right. Mm -hmm. But he said something to me. He's like, you look nervous in your videos. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? He's like, yeah, but it's, it's not something like someone would see who's not looking specifically for it but we're getting to like to like now the really fine details of my videos Mm -hmm. because I want to be good I want to really help people and I know if I am a good speaker and I'm able to deliver the value and the content that I want to deliver in a way that helps these women take action then that's what it's all about but oh yeah I mean the first time and even now it's never easy watching yourself on video or camera
0: yeah, and and you've done a lot of public speaking around L.A. as well over the past few years. How does it differ doing those types of things versus video where you don't really get feedback when you're making it?
1: <laughs> right. I mean, it is a whole different thing. I, actually, when I first started doing video, I was like, oh, I've done so much speaking. It'll be no problem. And my uh, ex-boyfriend at the time was an actor, so he, like who <laughs> would help me with the original videos. Mm-hmm. And even like when he was critiquing me, it was hard to hear like the criticism or, you know, the positive critiques, I should say, mm-hmm. because you're like, whoa, this is actually nothing like speaking in person because you don't get any feedback. So the, like, even the webinars are different from videos, mm-hmm. you know, because if I'm doing a, a webinar where I'm showing my face and meeting you know, um, the attendees through slides, Mm -hmm. that's a different, um, you know, media approach than doing a YouTube video. So it's all different. And, uh, yeah, it takes practice. And of course you just need to start because I think that's one of the biggest roadblocks people have is they want to do video, they want to do webinars, but they just never start. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, well, I I was scared to death but you just do it and then the only way you're going to get better is if you watch it and have people help you get better mm-hmm. and it's not easy but you know it's definitely a good way to uh, help your your, um, your clients or your customers.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you feel like putting yourself out there in video and webinars and stuff like that it really helps your personal brand a bit more than just writing?
1: Definitely, and I think I learned this through Think Traffic and Corbett's training. Is like you know, pick to something that you you enjoy. And so, writing was always hard for me, and it's still hard. And um, and I and I'm obviously learning each and every day how to be a better writer and a better speaker. But I knew, okay, well, videos is easier for me because I can communicate what I want to communicate. Um, in a more efficient manner than like writing something Mm -hmm. and I think um, my audience women you know they want to see me they want to relate to me they want to know that I look just like them, that I talk like them, Mm -hmm. that I'm normal because in the financial world a lot of people are like scared to take action or meet with a financial planner because it's very intimidating and we think like of financial advisors are these like big scary people who are going to tell us like, you did bad and you're a bad person. Or they're so just
0: trying to make money off investing you do you. or, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I knew that was a selling point for me, so I wanted to showcase it more through the video and, and the webinars, definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: And so going back to you having both clients you get through the web and clients you get um, locally, um, what kind of percentage would you say those clients are? like now that you said you've been getting more in the past six to eight months, what percent of them do you get from like, from blogging pretty much directly?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say it's about 50-50 right now. Really? So 50% comes from my website. I mean I get a, a sufficient amount of website leads for my one-on-one practice
2: mm-hmm.
1: right now. But um, you know not all of them are ready to engage in one-on-one planning. So I'm actually working on some new things here, um, to help women in that stage. And then the other 50% is from referrals. You know, I would, you know, the relationships I have with other professionals or my clients. Um, so it's about 50, 50, which is great for me because I mean, if I can just continue this and then expand it, I mean, that's all part of like feeding my business goals for the year.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you work in an office with other people, like they're um, not like part of your company, but you have like a, branch together
1: oh no actually not any longer oh, my own office yeah with Anne, my assistant and then my dog aria so well, it's very work-life functional now it's a home office and uh i see um you know a lot of times i meet with clients via skype so it mm-hmm. all works but it was part of the big vision plan too for me is mm-hmm. to have more of a work-life balance and uh design my life, um, in a way that made sense for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And so when you did work with an office with other people there and you were doing stuff online, were they kind of surprised that you were blogging about it and actually getting clients from it? Oh yeah. And they were <laughs> like, how'd like, you do that?
1: They're Like, Whoa. Cause I mean, they were like very old school, mm-hmm. right? I mean everyone in, I feel like in my industry is very old school. Um, so they're always like, "Wow, I mean, that's so amazing that you're doing what you're doing." And there some of them would say like, "Oh, we want to start that." They never did. Mm-hmm. And others were just like, "Nope, that's not for me. I'm never going to do it." Mm-hmm. You know, go you, but <laughs>
0: But like without your online work, could you have taken this jump right now to doing work on your own?
1: Um probably i don't know i mean it's hard to say right because it's just for me it's marketing done online i mean i would have probably just been marketing but it would have been more in person Mm -hmm. so i don't know that's a good question i'm not really sure
0: so so it like played into it but it wasn't like a make or break of whether or not you were going to go and do your own thing
1: Yeah, because I I feel like that was always my goal, to do my own thing, regardless Mm -hmm. if I use online community or not. Mm -hmm. Um, My goal was always to have my own practice, my own business. Mm
0: -hmm. And so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about um, a few kinds of people. There's people that are either they're in a job and they want to transition to be an entrepreneur and they're trying to figure out how to do that financially, or perhaps they've already made the transition and and money's tight. So I'd like to kind of talk about how you would approach people's finances in both those situations. So so the first person would be, let's say they're in a job that they're comfortable in and they want to make the change to being an entrepreneur. Like, How much do you suggest that they save? Do you suggest that they cut back their lifestyle a lot when they make the change? What's some of your advice for them?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, because I probably made every mistake possible. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're that type of person who is in a job and wants to transition to having your own business or the entrepreneur world, then, yeah, it's definitely wise to have about, you know, three to six months worth of your expenses in Mm -hmm. cash. So, you know, have your emergency fund or cash cushion ready to go to support you for those initial months that you're probably not going to be making any money.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, The second thing to have is to know exactly how much you need to make every month to support your life. So, I mean, you know, this I kind of knew, but it it took me a a good year to really figure it out. You know, how much money do I need every year to support a life I want to live? And I see a lot of entrepreneurs still don't even know that. And they're managing their businesses like in year three or four, and they have no clue how much they really need to support their personal financial life. So, you know, have a very, very clear number. Is it 3,000? Is it 5,000? You know, how much do you need every month? Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're probably going to cut back, you know, if you can eliminate certain expenses in your financial life for that first six months to a year while you're hustling and starting your business, then that will definitely help you out financially. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think so one that, thing that people don't think about is you know also the money you're going to invest in your business. Like you have to save that too because yeah. you don't want to yeah. start your business on credit cards.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I mean if you can have the ability to finance it all yourself first, then that's great, but you know some business owners are not willing to do that so they apply for loans or you know their credit card and I think it's kind of like you're going to know what the plan is for you um, but you do have to have a clear game plan because if you don't then uh, that's why the numbers of businesses fail every year I mean it's like five out of six businesses fail Mm -hmm. in the first three years and I think it's really because people don't have a clear vision of where they're trying to go and what it's going to take to get them there they just assume like, Oh, I'm just going to start this business and it's all going to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, but usually it's not as like smooth sailing as that.
0: Right. And I, I think that one of the biggest things is if you know what you're going to do, then don't wait to quit your job to start doing it. I think that you should start like as soon as you know, like, like I started blogging way before I left my job to go work with Corbett and Like my wife started photography before she transitioned into that, you know, building up the skills. Maybe you're not earning anything from it, but you're getting more confident at it. Maybe you're building an audience online. Um, You're building up a portfolio that you can share with people eventually. And so I think a lot of people think it's like you just like make the leap. But I really think you should put in the time like in the evenings and the weekends and when you can find it to kind of work on work on the side.
1: Definitely. I mean, mine, mine was kind of a little bit different in the sense, of, I mean, I've, I'm still transitioning, so I'm not, you know, it's never like a end and never there, mm-hmm. right? You're constantly transitioning. But yeah, I definitely agree. Like if you know you want to leave your nine to five job and do something, start doing that now on the side as freelance work, making sure it does work out for you, making sure it's something you actually want to do, mm-hmm um, build the credibility, build the skill set, hopefully build some of the audience or potential customers or clients. So then when you make that leap, yeah, they already see that you're that person, you know, for that service or whatever it is you're doing.
0: Yeah. And you said you work with a lot of couples. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see that maybe they aren't even thinking of when they come in to see you?
1: Hmm. I mean, a lot of couples just quite frankly, never talk about money. I mean, it's still the case. Um, uh, You know, it's a scary subject for a lot of individuals and it's overwhelming. And I think the biggest mistake is that they just don't talk about it regularly. So usually I act as the third party, unbiased, objective opinion that couples feel like, safe or comfortable working with because mm-hmm. I'm the one kind of taking a lot of the responsibility and saying, okay, well, here's what is the recommended path. Mm-hmm. So instead of like arguing about it, like let's just like I'll kind of take that burden off them and I kind of guide them, which alleviates a lot of stress and anxiety and allows them to, to work together now on the, on the joint plan or joint vision.
0: Do You but, find that typically one of them is responsible for it?
1: Well, since I focus on women, it's usually women for me. I don't know if that's just who I attract, but I do have to say that most women are the ones managing the day-to-day finances for families and households. Mm -hmm. And I find that the women I work with or who come to work with me are very proactive and are seeking out additional guidance because they're the ones managing a lot of it and they feel overwhelmed by it. They feel like, um, you know, I'm managing it, but I don't even know how, like, what I'm doing, like, mm-hmm. if that's good enough. So, again, I'm not sure. I think that's just because of the way I market. Right. I am attracting the women who are in control of the financial mm-hmm. decisions, for the family, but. I also just think that's the shift in the economy in general. Women are taking over in a lot of areas and um, that's why it's incredibly important that they find somebody to work with in a financial planning relationship that makes sense for them. Mm
0: -hmm. And so do you find that um, husbands are hesitant about it, like talking about it?
1: I think a little bit um, because for men, it's almost like they should have all this in order, right? women are a little bit more open to asking for help, Mm -hmm. whereas men feel, I mean, this is all stereotypes, but men typically feel like, well, they should have it in order, and so they're a little bit less willing to admit that they don't know. Like asking for
0: directions. Yeah, (laughs) they don't
1: know what's going on financially because they feel like they should. Mm -hmm. And my reaction is like, well, no one ever really receives financial education. So for both men and women, it is definitely needed for both parties and uh, it's something that you have to seek out on your own Mm -hmm.
0: and so you focus on like removing all finger pointing and blame and just hey let's just look at where you're at let's figure out the best thing to do and you find it's really helpful if you can just be like that third party that can kind of facilitate that and give them those recommendations
1: definitely I think it's very useful Mm
0: -hmm. and so what's what would you say for someone that's like an entrepreneur like in that second or third year or something and they're still like fledgling like they're getting by so they don't have to go back to a day job but you know they're just not breaking through would you say it's it's more based on like their business finances or or more on like how they're handling their personal finances and feeling stuck
1: i i would say it's both i mean i think in in the entrepreneur world, or as a business owner, you have to be so clear on how much money you need for your personal financial life. So, for example, let's say you run all your expenses and you need $50,000 a year just to pay your bills and live this life. Mm -hmm. Then you have to be very clear on like your top three financial goals that you're working on this year and how much you need to save for those goals. You know, building your emergency fund, paying off your student loans, or saving for a home. And retirement so those three goals that you're focusing on the in the year are gonna have a target right mm-hmm. we need to set aside X amount so you add that into the equation then you add some taxes so now your gross income need for the year is hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars then you have to take that number and plug it into your business goals for the year so that's where people don't get very specific so you know, maybe then you look at your business expenses and you have another 20000 a year in business expenses, maybe whatever, you know, whatever you have, maybe business taxes. I don't know how you're running your business, but now your revenue for your business to meet your personal financial goals is 150000 mm-hmm. So that's like the clarity that business owners need because if, if I tell you, Caleb, you need to produce $150,000 in your business this year, you're like, perfect, now I know mm-hmm. what the goal is right. and if I hit this business goal then all my personal financial goals will be met. Mm-hmm. And then from there what you do as a business owner and as you know is you take $150,000 and say okay what do I need to do to generate this, You know, how many clients do I work with, what's my price point for the clients, how many, am I just doing one service or product or is it three? you know, then you can do that. But if you just focus on $150,000 as a business owner, then you're going to reach all your goals.
0: No. And I like how you reverse engineered it there because Mm -hmm. let's say you're making $50,000 in a day job and you decide to be an entrepreneur and you're like, okay, I just need to bring in $50,000 a year. And that's completely wrong because of all the money you're going to spend on your business. Um, you're going to probably be paying for your own health insurance and other benefits. Um,
2: yes.
0: So it's all, it's like these things that nobody really wants to talk about when they want right. to like be an entrepreneur, they want to work on a beach or what have you. But <laughs> um, you know, it was things like, like the health insurance and the then tracking your taxes on your own and determining where you're going to do your retirement on your own. Cause you can't do it through a company anymore. And, Like those things take time too. And I think when you're starting a company, it's really easy to just work all the time and not look at those logistical things of working for yourself and getting an accountant and getting proper health insurance and life insurance and things that pretty much are just attached to a regular job.
1: Right, definitely. And, you know, in my first year, I didn't know that number. Like I knew my revenue goal number, but I like made it up. I was just like, Oh, I want to produce. Extra you want to beat
0: your brother. Yeah. Again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, actually. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, it took me years to figure it out. Like how much do I need to live the life that I want and then save for my goals. And then, then I plug that into my business revenue goals for the year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, that's one of my biggest learning lessons. And that's what I try to tell, um, women now that I work with, it's like, when you have clarity around this, everything is so much easier. Mm-hmm. But again, it took me, you know, years to figure it out. So that's what I'm trying to help other women so they don't have to spend years or waste a lot of money making mistakes.
0: Right, exactly. So so what's next for you? Like what are you working on right now that gets you excited?
1: Excellent question. I am launching a live workshop in April, April thirteenth. So for anybody listening, they can subscribe to my community at financiallywisewomen.com to get all the details. They have to be on the list to get the details for the workshop. And uh, so that's, you know, I have my one-on-one practice and business model where I'm working with individual clients. But I realized, you know, there's obviously a lot of people now who, who want to work with me. and in order for me to scale efficiently and help more women I need to do like group type of events where Mm -hmm. I can help more than one person at a time so the live workshop will be like a group event for a limited amount of women Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be talking very specifically about you know like things that they need to do to get their financial lives in order you know very tactical step-by-step you know, guidance for them so that they feel empowered, that they like have a plan in place, but it's, uh, you know, it's a shorter, obviously, um, intense way to work together. So we're launching the workshop this year and then next year we'll have like an online course coming out as well. So some fun stuff,
0: <laughs> lots, lots of work to do to get, to get that online, you know. Piece, you know, put yeah. together. Um, <laughs> and I actually, I had another question that I wanted to go back on. Um, and it's something that my wife and I kind of have gone through as well as being self-employed and trying to get a loan for a house. I'd love to talk about that for a minute. If you have, um, if you have any advice for people, cause at least for us, they really wanted to see two years of experience, um, two years of tax returns. Two, two years.
1: I, yeah. Two years of income taxes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so as opposed to when you're a W2 or you're a regular, um, salaried employee um they pretty much just need to see like a pay stub like Mm -hmm. it's getting stricter or it has gotten stricter over the past couple years but um how, how do you coach people that are entrepreneurs or at least one of the couple is an entrepreneur into like saving for and getting a loan for a house do you work with that at all
1: yeah, I mean, it it's really is about, okay, well, they, they require two years of your income taxes as a self-employed individual, and uh, so, you know, it's probably going to take you two years longer, right, right, to get to the home. But that's actually not a bad thing because then you have two years longer to save for a down payment mm-hmm. and to make the biggest decision of your life. You know, <laughs> you have two more, two more years to really think about it and really make sure this is a good idea. Because I think a lot of people just assume, all right, now it's time to buy a house. And so they're working, working, working to buy a house. And then all of a sudden they get the house and then they're house poor. Because they put every last dime into this down payment. And, you know, they have a mortgage and they're a little bit stretched now.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So as a self-employed individual, you know, I think it's just remembering that, hopefully your business is going to be something that builds equity Mm -hmm. so that's an investment in itself just like real estate is an investment Mm -hmm. and you just have to be a little bit more patient and say okay I took this risk by starting this business so I have to make sure that it's up and running efficiently I have a healthy income coming from it then I could buy the home and qualify for a loan but in the meantime we're just gonna do our best to save as much as possible Mm -hmm. so we can hopefully put a 20% down payment on the home, which is, should be the goal Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or even maybe more. So then our mortgage is lower. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's kind of a blessing in disguise because those first two years of either owning a house or starting a business, there are going to be a lot of unexpected expenses. And if you have to split where those go, it just is asking for trouble.
1: Yeah. I think you need to do one thing at a time. I yeah. think try. I mean, in our, and most of the women, including myself, we're very proactive. We're very driven individuals like yourself, Caleb. And so it's like, we want to do everything at once. And it's like, I have to remind myself and and I remind my clients, like, look, you're going to achieve all these goals. Now we just have to get very strategic about at what point do we like work on them. We prioritize the goals based on the, where you're at in your life and what's realistic and when I tell clients that they feel a lot like more calm about it and like have a peace of mind because sometimes I feel like like if I don't do it now I'm never going to do it you know especially with the home purchase. Well the interest rates are so low and the all these home prices are so low. If I don't do it now I'm never going to get into a home at, mm. This optimal time, and I say, well, you know, regardless of if this is the best time or not in terms of interest rates or, or house prices, I mean, we we have to find the best time for you financially, mm-hmm. right? Because this is a thirty-year commitment, so you're <laughs> either way, it's for the long term. So, yeah. I think it's just reminding clients of that too. Yeah, one one thing at a time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the interest rate isn't going to matter if you have to foreclose on it because you don't have the money to pay for it. so
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining me, Brittany. Um, We covered a lot of ground, both your background and stuff to help entrepreneurs with their finances as well. So thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brittany. It's really important, either as an entrepreneur or not as an entrepreneur, to just know where your money's going. If you don't know that, it doesn't matter how much you make, really. Because you could be making millions of dollars, but if you're spending millions and you're wasting millions, it doesn't even matter what your salary is. It doesn't matter how much money you're bringing in. So whether you're making $200 or $200,000, know where your money's going and understand how important it is to keep track of it all the time. That's it for this episode of the Cubicle Renegade podcast. Remember, if you head over to PocketChange.com, you can download the Cubicle Renegade Toolkit. It's a mix of the Get Paid Manifesto, which helps you get more clients and earn more money from your current clients, the Financial Freedom Email Series, which will help you over 10 weeks, which will help you understand your financial picture a little better, and I'm also working on a video for that toolkit as well called Five Ways to Earn Your First $1,000 Online. So head on over to pocketchange.com. You'll see a little sign-up form to enter your email, and you'll get free access to that toolkit. In the next episode, you'll hear from James Clear from Passive Panda. We chat a lot about habits, how to create good ones, how to stick with them, and what habits are most important for entrepreneurs. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade podcast at www.pocketchanged.com. To read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions, head over to cubiclerenegade.com.